Hello, and welcome to the history of Judaism, the history and story of the Jews told by me, Yossi Silverman, a Jewish educator and licensed tour guide. Welcome to the first podcast remastered. That's the podcast known as From the Start. And it's been remastered. Why has it been remastered? I hear you cry. Surely the first one was good enough. Yeah. Uh, Well, here's the thing. I was intending to upload most of my podcasts for a new YouTube channel I'm planning on. So visit Scout Israel on YouTube. You'll hear some wonderful podcasts and see some videos. See my wonderful face too. Um, Here's the thing. I was listening to the first podcast and it was a little bit reminiscent of uh, being kicked in the head repeatedly by a donkey. Uh, just to lift up the hood on podcasting here, do not record directly into your computer. Please buy something where you can connect your computer via a USB and translate things into digital first. Otherwise, you get to hear your computer's sound card whirring and all these funny noises, and it, it really gives you a, a shocking headache. And I sincerely sincerely apologize to anybody who's stuck with me all this time right from my first non-remastered podcast thank you so much for the newcomers please listen to this one don't go back to the old one not as good quality let's leave it as that i feel that i should mention something as well at this point and what i'm going to mention is that I do actually reboot my podcasts. I have a change in my focus. Uh, The reason why I'm not just forgetting about it and not bothering to remaster is because I still think there is some benefit uh, to these series of podcasts up to podcast number eight. I don't want to spoil things for you to do what they call a spoiler, but after podcast number eight, things change a little bit. So, let's get started then. I'm going to tell you a story from a Jewish educated perspective. Let's start with a quote from the early part of a ceremony called the Seder. Many Jews all over the world have a Seder at the Passover festival, which occurs at the beginning of the Jewish year in spring. And the quote will be given line by line, first in Hebrew, then in English. I'm going to give the emphasis on some special words. Right from the start, our ancestors were idolaters. And now we have been drawn to God to serve him. As it is said, Joshua said to all the peoples, So said God, the God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the river. Terach, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they worshipped other gods. I'm starting my series of podcasts with this quote for two reasons. One, I can think of no better traditional Jewish educational experience than the Passover Seder. 
It is an educational feast that happens every spring and it involves hands-on learning and storytelling and the main feature is called the Magid, a story of the entirety of the Jewish history up to the Exodus and entry into the Holy Land. Its chronology begins with Abraham's father, uh, that's Terah in our quote. The second reason is it answers a problem that I have had. I wish to tell the story of the Jewish people. Where should I start? I could start where most academics dealing with the history start. The return of the exiled Judeans from Persia in the 5th century before the Common Era. Uh, tangential note. I shall be referring to BCE, before the Common Era, and CE, Common Era, not BC, before Christ, and AD, in the year of our Lord. It seems to be appropriate for a history of the Jews to use the appropriate terminology. The academic answer is the beginning of Jewish history is the Persian period. At this point in history, we can talk of a distinct people called the Jews or Judeans, and not the Israelites, or lots of other different tribes that made up the people previously. We have different historical sources from this period talking about Jews. We can only discuss Jewish history really from this point. Even in religious terms, the Bible uses the word Yehudi meaning Jew first in the book of Esther uh, and books around that time period in the traditional sense to connote a religion or ethnicity rather than tribe. The hero of the story, Mordechai, or Mordechai is described as a Yehudi, which is used to mean the Judean tribe, even though it is evident that he is from the Benjamite tribe. In modern terms, the text is telling us now we are all Judeans, the Book of Esther is supposed to take place in post-exilic Persia, uh, but I'm not actually going to start there. I could start in many periods. We could claim that as Judaism today is radically different from the religion of 2000 years ago, the story begins really with the Enlightenment. I could claim as the term nation or am used to refer to the 12 tribes of Israel starts really in the Bible with Jacob. I should start with Jacob. Why am I starting with Abraham. It expresses my main aim in these podcasts. I'm not just giving a historical review of Judaism. I'm trying to tell the story of the Jews as many Jews would tell it. If you would put it in dry academic terms, I'm starting with what some call the founding myth, the Romulus and Remus of Jewish history. Romulus and Remus founded Rome according to the Roman myth. Personally, I'm telling the story of my people as understood by a student of Biblical Hebrew, Talmud, traditional Jewish texts, and archaeology, and all the academic stuff. And by the way, uh, here's a spoiler alert for the remastered version. Yeah, I changed my mind in the eighth podcast, but hang on for that one. This week we'll be dealing with the story itself. We will discuss the academic history next time. Lastly, the story of any group starts before the group existed, when they were all idol worshippers, as it has said in our quote. Back to the story of Abraham, or more accurately, the story of Avram, as he's known in the text in Hebrew, at this point in the text. Now, Avram was born 
4,000 years ago in a small village in northern Iraq or Kurdistan called Ur. He moved with his father Terach and his brother Nahor or Nahor to Haran. Please refer to the maps in this post or in the new YouTube channel to see where that is. The first question is, who is Avram? For the purpose of this week, I'd like to call him an Avri or Hebrew as the text calls him. This means either a descendant of a guy called Ever, a wandering vagrant, or a person from the Ever, meaning a person from the word, the word that means other side. That's what Ever means, other side, meaning the other side of the Euphrates River, sea map, an other. He was married to a lady called Sarai, or Sarah, possibly meaning princess, uh, and possibly she is also called Yiska, meaning the one who sees. People talk about Avram as being the first prophet. Yeah, that's probably not true. In fact, I would like to claim Sarai. She's the first prophet. I shall also discuss a little bit about the role of women in the story. I think it's important to lay an emphasis on Sarai as a key player. Why did they leave Ur? So Ur, that's a very interesting name. Linguistically, it should be pronounced in Akkadian, which is the language that they spoke there. Now, hang on for this, my Akkadian's terrible. Uh, as Ur or Uru. In Akkadian, this means city or city-state. Uh, it's like Ir, meaning city in modern Hebrew. I'll talk about this next time. The rabbis go uh, on a completely different direction from this. Rather than using the guttural oh at the beginning of the name Ur, as I've been trying to emphasise here with my appalling Ashkenazic pronunciation of things, they use the open vowel Ur, which in Hebrew means fire. Uh, could be, I think, light today in modern Hebrew. The rabbis had a special way of explaining anomalies and awkward language in the Jewish Bible called Midrash. One Midrash explained, based on pure chronology and the fact that the Bible describes people living for a shockingly long time, Abraham's childhood, or Avram's childhood, was at the same time as a king called Nimrod. They explained that Nimrod was the king of Ur. In fact, it was called Ur because Nimrod had built a huge fiery furnace there to punish all those that defied him. Hence the name Ur of the Chaldees, as it's also known. The name you know, means fire of the Chaldees. The Chaldees are the people who lived there. It came to his notice, to Nimrod's notice, that a young man was at large in his city, publicising his new beliefs that all deities of the city were fabricated and that there was only one true God and this God, well, he wasn't called Nimrod, was he now? Now, you can understand Nimrod's great anger at this audacity. He had the young man brought before him along with his family and he passed sentence that Avram should be flung into the fire and if this God could save him, he would be allowed to live and leave the city and never return. Nimrod extended the offer to the other members of the family who sheepishly took a step back from their rebellious brother said, um, yeah, that's not really us. Avram was thrown into the fire and like another story that actually appears in the Bible, not Midrash, Avram was saved. I'm referring to Daniel 
if you read the story of Daniel. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. Daniel is the lion's den. I'm referring to uh, a different story of three guys called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who also survive a fire. But again, you need to read more Bible for that. So like that story, Avram saved. Upon seeing this, his brother Nahor or Nahor calls out and says, Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, I believe in one true non-corporeal supreme being too. And then he jumps into the flames. And he died a nasty, fiery death, because he obviously wasn't a true believer. This is not the official story, but a useful rabbinic explanation of how the family had to move from Ur to Haran, because obviously after that, Nimrod was fairly upset. And they left, and they went to Haran. It also explains the sudden disappearance of Nahor, Nahor from the text. One day in Haran, Avram hears God call to him, and God says... He has to leave his land, his father's house, to a new land, considering I just told you that he had already moved to Haran, it should seem strange to call it his land. It seems that Haran is part of a territory settled by one type of people, what would historians would call the Amorites, or rather biblical scholars would call the Amorites, and this new land is called uh, Canaan, a land settled by, uh, yeah, you guessed it, Canaanites. It delineates two types of cultures. One, Mesopotamian, that's from Iraq and Syria, that kind of area, that is by and large Akkadian-speaking, and one, Levantine, which uh, speaks a precursor to Hebrew simply called Canaanite. And there's various different academic names for this, and it's different from the language that the Bible is written in. And in the new land, where everybody speaks this new language, he will be thought of as an other, an Akkadian-speaking Amorite Mesopotamian. So Avram takes his wife Sarai, not yet called Sarah, and his cousin Lot, and journeys to Canaan. He builds an altar and leaves again on his way to Egypt. This should seem a bit weird. He just got there. Come on, you know, do something in Canaan. Uh, that's weird if you're not a nomad. That's why you, you get to one place and you then go to another place because nomads typically follow the pasture. And if there's a drought in Canaan, off they trot on the way to Egypt. In fact, we'll have another going down to Egypt in a few chapters time. Apparently, Avram hasn't realised how pretty his wife was. This could be for a number of reasons. Number one, he is too busy changing the world. Number two, it was a long journey and he had to focus on the road. Number three, they left to Haran at the age of 90 and hadn't much time to think of such things. Abraham, Avram, suddenly says, good grief, golly, or words to that effect. You look pretty. We're going to have to lie and claim that you're my sister so that the Egyptians won't kill me so that they can take you away. Yeah, it's pretty extreme, I know. According to the text, that this was actually a practice in Egypt of killing attractive women's husbands and then enslaving the, the wife. Things went very well in Egypt for Avram after that. Sarai attracted a number of suitors who all gave Avram, which uh, Avram was claiming to be Sarai's brother or kinsman, lots of gold, 
and sheep and more sheep and even more sheep and things to gain her favour. You might think that this is a bit immoral lying on all of that, but it was the practice to marry people within the same family. So really you could kind of call Avram Sarah's kind of brother in quotation marks there or kinsman is an idiom there, idiom for kinsman. And after all, no one's going to admit to being a pretty lady's husband in mad, bad wife robbing Egypt. Things get a little bit out of hand where Pharaoh takes a fancy to Sarai, so God smites Pharaoh's house with a plague. Yeah, that's a common theme. And appears to him in a dream and tells him to get his hands off Avram's wife. The next morning, Pharaoh calls Avram to his court and disciplines him for playing confidence tricks on Pharaoh and his subjects, and he explained how, oh no, no, we don't do that whole stealing wives thing here. No, 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 we don't do that. That's horrible. And I'll put anyone to death who does even slightly any kind of wife robbing or even looks at Sarai. Here's some free tickets to the next caravan out of here. And by the way, uh, you seem to like sheep. Here, have some more. Go away. Go off. Take your sheep. Get out. When they get back to Canaan, Avram has to solve a dispute between his shepherds and his cousin's lot shepherds. So Avram agrees to settle in the hill country and Lot takes the entire low country of the Jordan Valley near a nice little town called Sodom. What could possibly go wrong? So another group of warlike nomads turn up from Mesopotamia, led by four kings, their chief being Kedar Laomer, king of Elam, a long name I know, as opposed to Avram, who just wants to raise some sheep in the hills. They want to carve out a mini empire there. So they start a war against five local kings of Canaan. And you'd be right in mistaking for this for the last few chapters of The Hobbit. After Kedala Omer kidnaps Lot and the kings, if you want to not call them kings, you could call them just head bloke of the surrounding towns. Then Avram sides with Lot and the locals. And then he chases the Amorite invaders all the way up to Syria and recaptures his cousin Lot. In return for his bravery, a local king, the king of Salem, or Salem, no, no, which is it, also known as Shalem, or in ancient archaeology, Uru Salimum, that's later to be Jerusalem, sounds similar, doesn't it? This king of Uru Salimum makes a treaty with Avram. This is mirrored by a similar covenant which I'll refer to next time, called the Covenant of the Parts Between God and Avram. Avram is still childless and is a few years off his centenary. So Sarai commands her maidservant Hagar to become Avram's concubine. The product of this is Ishmael, thought to be the father of the Arabs, known in Arabic as Ismail, in Hebrew Yishmael. It means a God heard. Sarai feels much antagonism to the lad, and some say add prophecies about future strife. She mistreats Hagar, and Hagar runs away to be turned back by an angel, who tells her that she too, not the angel, good angels don't have gender, but she meaning Hagar, is to be the mother of a great nation, and don't despair, go back to Avram. Around this time, God made a really bizarre request of Avram, God tells him to circumcise himself and all his male household, including Yishmael. 
who's just returned with his mother. I know that's a bit weird, but taken in the context of the time and culture, it's a matter of cleanliness. And many cultures, like the ancient Egyptians, uh, it was a sign of the covenant between uh, the person and God, in this case, God and Abraham. This isn't as weird as it sounds. This he does without question and is rewarded with a new name, not Avram, but instead he's called Avraham. Gets the H, the hey sound. And Sarai gets to call herself Sarah, with a hey at the end as well, a H sound, a H sound. This whole addition of the H, uh, the hey, uh, H sound, is seen as a holy sign, as one of the names of God in Hebrew includes this letter, the H. So Avram, which means exalted father, becomes exalted and godly father, and Sarai, meaning my princess, becomes God's princess. Whilst recovering from his operation, he is sitting out in his tent, and he sees four travellers. He was accustomed to sit in front of his tent opening, and look down to the road to see if any travellers would come along. Considering his post-operation condition, his reaction to seeing four men was really startling. Instead of waiting for them to come closer, he ignores the plane in his loins and runs toward them, smiling and beckoning them into his tent. He rushes about the guests washing their feet, bringing them drinks and nibbles. He runs over to Yishmael and tells him to make bread. He slays a young calf, the best of his herd, for a nice steak for his guests. This story tells us some very, very important things about the founder of, the, of this religion, or two religions, or three religions, any more, any, anybody, anybody would like to, any other biddings for more religions? No? Okay, we'll stick to three. Three religions. He's described throughout history, or Jewish history, as being the epitome of kindness, a later tradition from the 16th century, known as Lurianic Kabbalah, will define Abraham or Avraham as being the biblical representation of the godly virtue of chesed, which means divine kindness. In prayer, we begin the main section of prayer with a blessing ending in the phrase, shield of Abraham. Just as um, Avraham shields people from the elements, uh, from the bandits on the road, from the, uh, the hot sun, provides for their bodily needs, gives them bread, washes their feet, so too the religious Jew hopes that God too will provide for these things. The pride of both Jews and Muslims is their hospitality. According to Bedouins, a person, even your enemy, can remain in your tent for three days before you even think of asking him to leave. Three days, food, water, lodging. The last story I'll tell explains more thoroughly the character of Abraham, of Abraham. So the travellers reveal that there are angels from God, as well as telling Sarah that she's going to have a son, which causes much mirth. They also happen to let it slip that they're on the way to do God's work in Sodom. A really peculiar thing happens. The Bible, using a theatrical term, breaks the fourth wall. It breaks the fourth wall. It speaks directly to the audience. The Bible says in Genesis, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, the Bible's not a normal book. Anybody who reads it like a science book or a geology textbook is, or plain narrative isn't really doing a good job of reading the Bible. In fact, we're going to stop calling it the Bible in this podcast and call it Torah, the name by which most 
Jews call it in Hebrew, and it means teaching. It's a multi-layered text. And what it's doing here is the text is having a dialogue with you, the reader. The text is trying to say to you that there's something special about this Abraham guy. He's worthy of one-on-one -on -one conversations with God. Also, the Torah and the story of Jews is fond of archetypes. One recurring archetype is that of the defending lawyer, the person that has the gall to argue against God on behalf of humanity. Moses is a similar archetype. God says, I am going to wipe out the Jewish people. Moses says, then wipe me out too. The rabbis thought Noah was supposed to be also similar to this, but Noah actually never got to argue with God, so he he's thought in many traditional uh, interpretations of the Bible not to have the same status. But Abraham has a very exalted status. God decides to tell Abraham his plan, which is to wipe out the communities of the Jordan Valley. This is clearly a test of Abraham's kindness. Abraham starts a barter with God. God says, all these people are evil. They must all die. If I was to make a Facebook post like this one, you could be pretty much assured that within five minutes I'd get a slew of responses, half of them agreeing with me. Yes, <laughs> those Jordan Valley guys, nasty pieces of work. They're demons in human form, etc, etc, blah, blah, blah. Carpet bomb the place with fire and brimstone. Death is too good for them. Do something nastier than nastiness. And on the other kind, you'd have, well, one cannot tar all of the Jordan Valley people with the same brush. Maybe there is like a hundred people or at least 50 people living in this town. Maybe you're good. Seemingly, the text prefers the second kind of person, though wait for a bit because it's then actually going to follow the behavior of the first kind of person. Uh, it's rather more complicated than just black and white here. Avram first asks if there are 50 good people there. Maybe spare the place because of 50. No, there's not. Okay. Maybe if there's 40 good people. No, no, no. Okay. Then he carries on like that, and once he's down to ten, he's already a lost cause. And God sends his angels to save the one family that are righteous in Sodom, which is Lot's family. Then God proceeds to carpet bomb the area with fire and brimstone. A fate worse than death. Maybe we could take from this a message about the nature of God, or the rightness of wrongness of the two thought processes. Instead, I'd like to focus on our hero, Abraham. He argues with the creator of the entire universe to save ten men, ten people, ten uh, righteous people. This is telling you the basis of this new religion is going to be hesed, it is going to be righteousness, it is going to be focusing on the good rather than the bad. And it's going to start from the other side of things, from the other point of view, with Abraham. It's going to take this concept of kindness from the other side of the river. And that's where we're going to start at least this version of the podcasts. Uh, now, if you have been listening, you might be asking, does this guy have a website? Yes, you can go to scoutisrael.com. You can also visit uh, my, my YouTube channel, Scout Israel. You can look on Instagram, type in Yossi Tour Guide. 
a Twitter I'm called Wanderer Learner. Feel free, if you're listening to this on YouTube, leave some comments in the comment section. Hit like, hit subscribe, and please tune in next time for the next podcast. And if you're listening to this remastered version very much later, you can decide whether you're going to skip ahead to podcast number nine or number eight and listen to the reboot or and then carry on to number nine. Or if you want to listen to all the other ones and that there's some benefits in them. If you're a person who's like, no, no, please carry on in this wonderful vein. Firstly, leave a comment in the comment section. Secondly, maybe I'll try also doing a new different format considering my new YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. My name is Yossi Silverman and you've been listening to the History of Judaism.